Hello again, Paula. How are you doing? Doing fine. Thanks for having me again this week. Yes, yeah, so you are uh, still inside from the beach. Hopefully you're putting on some sunscreen and, and I'll try to get you back out there soon. But we still have a little bit more to talk about regarding Medicaid priorities. Sure, I can talk Medicaid all day. Okay. It's one of my, <laughs> my favorite health policy issues. So I'm really glad to be able to to share any insights uh, with our members. Yeah, in the last episode, we, we kind of got a check-in from Idaho and Oregon. You're in North Carolina. And actually, that's, I guess, somewhat... Uh, appropriate since I think just a few weeks ago, North Carolina did extend Medicaid postpartum coverage to a year, right? Yes, they did. Uh, that was one of the, the great things, um, you know, after years of resistance, uh, we're, we're glad that North Carolina has embraced, uh, you know, this this mini Medicaid expansion, you know, for, for, for mothers. And I think that that's, that's something that, again, you know, Catholic healthcare has been very committed to the health of mothers and babies, as well as, you know, Medicaid um, and strengthening and making sure that it fulfills its true promise to, to everyone in this country. And so we're glad that North Carolina took the took the right steps to, to ensure that, you know, a, a, a population has coverage under Medicaid, which, you know, they are entitled to. It is something very important to 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 re, to relate to, to our listeners that Medicaid is an entitlement program that you know, really does make a difference in the lives of millions of people in this country. Well, let's get into more detail on it for this part two of our Medicaid priorities episode. You ready to go? Sure. Yes. Welcome to Health Calls. This is the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm your host, Brian Reardon. And joining me again for part two of our Medicaid Priorities uh, podcast episode is Paula Pottemeyer. He is Director of Government Relations at the Catholic Health Association. Hello again, Paula. And again, thank you for taking a few moments out of your vacation to talk Medicaid with us. Thanks for having me. And in just a few moments, we're going to have Kinda Serafi. I'll introduce her formally. She's going to provide a little bit more uh, context and perspective on the, really the topic for this part two is about ex- Expanding Medicaid coverage for those who don't have it and for new moms and babies. And let's start with the Medicaid gap. We touched on this in part one ever so briefly, that there really are uh, right now about 12 states, about 2.2 million people, Paulo, that um, if they if their state had expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, they would be eligible for Medicaid coverage. Can you describe what? How did that come about, and, and who falls into what we call the Medicaid gap? Can you give us a little, again, another sort of 30-second elevator speech or overview on that issue? Sure. The, the Medicaid coverage gap uh, really describes this unfortunate situation where uh, people in these, non, these 12 non-expansion states that you mentioned are, uh, make, um, you know, are, are too poor, um, to qualify for some of the subsidies that are available through the Affordable Care Act. And so because these are all determined um, under this, uh, you know, this formula called the federal poverty level, there are 2.2 million uninsured adults in these 12 states that really, because of no fault of their own, um, you know, make too, uh, make too little or, or just really don't qualify for these, these new things. I think that when the Affordable Care Act was designed, um, they uh, the the, uh, the the framers of of the the new law in Congress um, saw that Medicaid would cover people uh, 133% of the federal poverty level and below, um, and you know those making 133% and above would be pushed into these health insurance exchanges 
um, you know, between 100% of the federal poverty level and 133%, you know, there are some, you know, federal supports that you can have depending on your state on whether or not you could be put into a health insurance exchange plan or a plan that would be implemented by the states um, to cover this population. It was just assumed that everyone under 100% of uh, federal poverty level would be covered by Medicaid. Um, but back in 2012, the Supreme Court, um, when they were talking about the constitutionality of a lot of the Affordable Care Act, um, decided that it was not in the best interests of, of the law to force states to cover, and, you know, and that's because yeah, Medicaid. because states have to pick up uh, Medicaid is a state federal partnership. So yes, yeah. yes, and so we, I think, uh, you know, it's again unfortunate that uh, the Affordable Care Act, which is the law of the land, just could not be implemented in a way that would benefit everyone that it was hoping to help. Um, you know, really changing you know people's access to insurance, driving up on insurance rates depending on your state. And so we're, we're, this is, this is again, something that the Catholic Health Association has been committed to as one of the first hospital and uh, healthcare organizations to really rally behind this and, and many of our advocacy opportunities the last two years to really push this forward. And as I understand it, one of the legislative strategies, if you will, that we were looking at was rather than say having Congress pass legislation or part of the legislation that mandates states uh, extend that coverage in the, the 12 states that don't. We were looking at a way to, for those subsidies in the ACA is maybe to lower the threshold so that, again, you said it earlier, it just seems kind of uh, illogical that you can make too little to qualify for coverage that's meant to be, you know, in some ways a safety net. But w- can you just, without getting too much into the minutia sure. of the legislative things, we thought there might be an ACA solution to to fixing the gap, correct? Yes, we thought that there would be, um, you know, uh, the House of Representatives did pass a temporary fix, which would have put this population in the Affordable Care Act marketplaces with a zero dollar, you know, quote unquote, co-payment. And so this would act much like, you know, a Medicaid plan, um, you know, with the intent that it would be run by, you know, private health insurance uh, through the private health insurance marketplaces. And so that would be the, the easiest you know, we say easy now, it wasn't very easy back then, but the quickest way to ensure that this population of 2.2 million uninsured adults would have access immediately rather than waiting years to stand up, you know, a new Medicaid-like program or putting rulemaking in place. This was what advocates had thought would be an immediate solution. Yeah, and I know we'll keep uh, pushing for that. I know we talked in the, the last part of this episode that, uh, you know, there's some some opportunities perhaps in the fall. But the other issue that we want to uh, now focus on and I'm going to bring in uh, Kinda here in a moment is uh, extending postpartum coverage. Right now it's if you are on Medicaid and you have a baby, uh, 60 days, two months after the birth of the baby, Medicaid will cover your follow-up appointments and what have you. We really think that should be extended and a lot of others do to a full year. Why, why is that? Why do we care about 60 days going to a year? Why is that important? Yeah, we really care about um, extending postpartum care for mothers um, beyond 60 days to a full year, because right now we know Medicaid pays for four out of 10 births in this country. And uh, we at CHA, again, with our commitment to healthy motherhood and healthy babies, uh, you know, really want to move to a place where we don't talk about um, this large maternal mortality crisis, which disproportionately harms mothers of color. 
Um, many studies have shown that having health insurance like Medicaid helps lead to, to healthy outcomes in pregnancy because of the routine checkups and screenings. And, you know, we have, again, through our Medicaid Makes It Possible campaign and our leadership and involvement in different coalitions have highlighted how Medicaid and maternal and infant care are truly, um, you know, related to healthy pregnancies, healthy babies for that one year. And we know that that one year period is very important um, because a lot of the disparities in healthcare outcomes for um, mothers of color and, um, you know, low income mothers, I, I believe, you know, happen in that first year. And we, we've been involved in many different legislative um, campaigns to, to move it, to make it one year. And we were very happy to see a temporary, um, you know, state by state option um, in the American Rescue Plan um, last year that, that gives states this, this opportunity to extend it to one full year. Again, as you mentioned, Medicaid is a state and federal program. And so it always follows this federal um, incentive that whether or not a state will take it. And a lot of the time it's, um, you know, making sure that some of these policies, uh, you know, harmonize across the country. So we, we believe it should be made national and not uh, state by state. We're very happy that states are taking it up, but we hope that, you know, all states take it up. And I want to bring in now Kinda Sarafi. She is a partner at Manette Phelps and Phillips. They are longtime consultants to CHA on Medicaid policy. Kinda, thanks for taking some time out to be with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so let's really get into uh, the weeds a little bit because this issue is really so important. I mean, we think about, um, and, and Paulo gave a good overview of this, you know, uh, maternal mortality in the U.S. among the highest among all industrialized countries. Uh, our founding sisters uh, for Catholic healthcare in the U.S. really began, you know, over 150 years ago by taking care of moms and babies. I mean, that was a, a big genesis of Catholic healthcare in the United States. So, uh, providing really good care to new moms uh, is in our DNA, and I think this policy, to me, again, not being you know well versed in all the the nuances, it seems like a no brainer, but it's but it hasn't been passed. So maybe start with a little bit of the history on this. Uh, why, from your perspective, this makes good policy sense? Absolutely. So I think Paolo just did a beautiful job on the laying out the imperative of why coverage to be extended after a person has a baby is so important. And, and when we think about how do we really advance health equity for people of color? This is one of the most important policies that a state could implement. You know, 12% of pregnancy-related deaths occur not at, at, during the birth, but between six weeks and one, one year postpartum. So that 60-day period that currently states have covered for after someone gives birth is just not enough to really make sure that someone has the right health care, the right postpartum care, the right behavioral health treatment and physical treatment after they've given birth. And we just know that healthy moms have healthier babies. So this is, as you said, a real no-brainer when it comes to um, the imperative of, of, of expanding coverage for pregnant people. Um, it, you know, it's even more important to sort of build off the conversation you were having with Paolo earlier in states that haven't expanded Medicaid, because 
right now, if a, there, there are higher eligibility levels that Paula was talking about for people who are enrolled in coverage, and there are higher levels for people who are pregnant. But after those 60 days, there's a real cliff in a state that has an expanded coverage for individuals. And so you see a real drop off in people going from coverage during their pregnancy, coverage in the 60 days, and then nothing. Um, and what we've seen is that there are a lot of states in non-expansion states that have actually taken up this option to cover for 12 months just because they know full well how important it is and what a gap they have because they haven't expanded Medicaid. And if you just look at it from a dollars and cents perspective, let's set aside uh, the health and well-being of, of the mom and baby. But to me, I think you could make a math argument that if, if coverage stops at 60 days, it's not like the mom and baby, you know, or, or of course the baby will still be covered, but the mom's care, would she be deferring care, which again would lead to higher costs if some complication or something came up later where she's going to the emergency room as opposed to visiting her OBGYN. So, I mean, is, is there has there been any financial modeling or anything done to say it's actually a really smart investment to keep that coverage so that she's going to her doctor visits and other care uh, ongoing, you know, you don't you don't create a disincentive to go see the doctor after 61 days. There's no question there's a direct correlative. I think it's early to tell from the postpartum perspective, but we've seen it in state after state that's expanded Medicaid, the cost that hospitals had to shoulder for uninsured people when people came into the emergency room and got care too late versus getting preventive care. And and we, we anticipate that in states that have that do elect to expand coverage for the postpartum period for that full year after a person has a baby, we're really hoping to see decreasing costs from the hospitals that are going to serve these individuals regardless. That's what they have to do. But there's no reason to to have to treat them in an emergency room when we could be treating them in the OBGYN office. Great. You know, in Kinder, we were talking about how this is a state-federal partnership, and you've referenced the fact that some states have done it. Paula was saying, you know, we're, we're happy to see that, you know, even though it hasn't gone national, some states have done it. Has it been pretty consistent in how they've extended it? Have they all gone to one year, and, and have they put any sort of uh, caveats or restrictions on that? And can you can you give us kind of, I guess, a perspective at uh, how different states have done it differently or the same, and, and if, are there any learnings from the state level on this? Yep, sure. So, so the the American Rescue Plan was the was the legislation that passed that gave states this new option to cover uh, the postpartum period for twelve months, and the option states could take the option um, and have it go live starting in April of this year, and it's pretty astounding that we now know that twenty four states in D.C. have actually already taken advantage and have started implementing the option, and ten more states plan to do so. So we're at a sort of tipping point of thirty four states that have already a clear direction for doing the 12 months postpartum, and they're going to be doing it through, um, you know, this sort of standard uh, way that you do it through a state plan. There may be some states that are looking to pursue it uh, pursue this authority, but want to do more restrictive. So let's say they want to do less than 12 months. Um, I think the jury is out on whether the federal government will approve those kinds of requests. I think CMS and the administration is pretty clear that they want all if states that are going to take up this option to take the full 12 months, as opposed to, let's say, only doing postpartum for nine months. So we're we're hoping to see more states um, follow suit. And the, and the states that have elected to do so are really varied. So there are, you know, it's across the country. There's no political um, you way to look at the states one way or the other. States all across the country have decided to elect for this option. Are any putting in uh, work requirements or anything like that? 
Um, you know, the administration's been really clear that they are not approving 1115 no, no. waivers for work requirements, um, neither for pregnant people, but also for any population. So states that um, have have waivers in front of CMS have been denied it. And, and I don't foresee any approval under this administration for work. So my last question to you would be uh, for those listening, which again will be a lot of CHA members uh, that may be interested in this. What do you suggest to them? Is this more of a state strategy? Uh, obviously, we at CHA really uh, focus on the federal government and, and our, our legislative staffs, the administration. But to those out uh, across the country uh, working in Catholic healthcare, particularly in advocacy roles or, or executive roles, what advice would you give to them on this issue? Yeah, this is 100% in the state's boat right now. The federal government has given the clear go-ahead. There's clear. It's an easy process to apply to do 12 months postpartum. So for members out there who are are in the hospital systems and providers and healthcare workers. This is a state advocacy strategy, and, and it's an easy thing to follow up on. You go on to Kaiser, and you can see if your state has elected the option, and if not, then it is the time is now to sort of look to state um, administrative level and ask them why they haven't pursued the state plan option, which will have such an impact on pregnant people and postpartum people. Great. Let me bring Paula back into the discussion. Paula, any any follow Follow-up questions for Kinda or anything you want to add? No, I think Kinda really covered well. I think this is one of those uh, policies that really unites a lot of um, different advocacy groups, as well as you know interest areas. I know that um, you know some of the champions of this proposal at the national level, working with their state champions, have been the um, American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, uh, the Association of Maternal Health and Child Programs as well as, you know, uh, different Medicaid coalitions that encompass uh, different health plans because they know that this is a really good thing for, for a lot of the constituents that they serve. And really the beneficiaries that our, our members serve know that they, they see it day in and day out, uh, really in the kind of, um, you know, ho uh, hospital and birthing center um, setting that Medicaid, um, you know, is truly something that is very life-giving and life-affirming. And so we, we want to make sure that, um, you know, as Kinda mentioned, the, the state advocacy piece also should include, um, you know, members of the faith community. I think the faith community has also been very, very active in this work. We, we work also with our, our partners here at the national level, but there, there's just something about that state and local um, advocacy that, that, that drive this forward because those states have to come up with um, policies, uh, you know, uh, different waivers that they need to submit. And all of this has to be done in a transparent way uh, that they need to have public input. And so uh, we're hopeful that the public is clamoring for this, this, you know, no brainer Medicaid one year postpartum option that states can do right now. All right. Thanks, Paula. Kinda Sarafi, uh, partner at Manette, Phelps and Phillips. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Appreciate your perspectives. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thanks for all the advice and counsel you've given CHA over the years uh, at Manette. Um, I know I've, you know, your, your colleague Cindy has, has spoken at uh, a lot of our meetings and done uh, virtual events. Cindy Mann, that is, and so we always appreciate uh, talking to you folks and, and learning a little bit more. And we know how important Medicaid is, and I think you know Paul did a nice job just uh, summarizing uh, why it is important uh, to Catholic healthcare. So thanks again for all your help. Thank you. 
Paula Pennemeyer, Director of Government Relations at the Catholic Health Association, thanks for being part of this conversation. I'm Brian Reardon, your host, and this has been another episode of Health Calls, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. This episode was produced by Josh Matica. Our studio producer was Jen Like, and our studio engineer was Brian Hartman here at Clayton Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. You can listen to Health Calls anywhere podcasts are available. Thanks for listening. <laughs>